Matt Helm is an artist, documentary filmmaker, and creator of multimedia installations who currently lives in Stockholm. His work investigates the boundaries between art and movements of social justice, video installation and documentary practices, and personal and global political narratives. He has worked extensively in Europe, West Africa, the United States, and Brazil, and has shown in numerous exhibitions, including Moderna Musée Stockholm, Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago, Walker Art Center, and the Venice Biennale, among others. Matian, welcome to the credit process. Thank you. So, you know, we were discussing before, just just now before we started, about you had just had a visit from your son, and yes. you are saying how he's in a constant state of being an artist. Yeah, or it's a constant state of doing things. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, being an artist is about doing things. And it's uh, for a child, it might be easier in a sense because they're in a the constant doing, whereas our being an adult is also kind of self-criticism that makes it harder. Do you remember, I mean, we were all children and we were all artists in a sense of not yeah. reflecting so much. But again, that's a kind of modesty, I think, for an artist like yourself, who is, you know, the biennales and the museums and, and collaborated and, and showing your work on a large scale. So maybe you don't realize that you are also in a constant state of doing Sure, no, but I'm in a constant state of, of doing, but I mean, having an idea and then realizing that idea is two very different things because mm -hmm. you will always get disappointed. Realizing mm -hmm. is always getting disappointed. You will never get to that point where the idea was. Mm -hmm. But the knowledge of the constant failure mm -hmm. uh, makes it much harder to do as an adult. Whereas for a child, they just do. It's not mm -hmm. like they have an idea and then they do it and then they start criticizing themselves whether they were close enough to mm -hmm. the original idea. Yes. And, and I think being an artist is very much kind of coping with that inner judge, you know, mm -hmm. in different ways. Try to work when you're tired, work when you're thinking of something else. Try to all the time kind of maneuver around that, that judge, that inner judge that will always say, well, hey, it's not going to be all that great anyway, so why mm -hmm. do you bother? Mm -hmm. uh, being an artist, for me, it's like the best artwork is the artwork being done. Yes. Uh, it's much, much more difficult. It's so easy to say, oh, you can do, you do what you like, you do what you love, you love. yeah, I do, but getting it done is very difficult. And, and, and I think, and often, you, you kind of, you, you start a project in a kind of naive state and then you realize how complex it actually became once you start, mm -hmm. when you start doing it. This is central, the central part in, 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 in an artistic process is mm -hmm. the, you know, the ability to actually do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can, you can do in a kind of therapeutic way the mm -hmm. same thing over and over again, like a kind of a procrastination to step up is, I think it's very hard. Yes, you are collaborative, but let's say it's less collaborative than other, you know, like filmmakers. I guess the struggle is for the most isolating or the, the less collaborative arts is to have that energy when it yeah. just really comes totally. from yourself, yeah. yeah. And I'm not a very collaborative artist. I'm collaborative in the sense that when I'm directing, the, the points where I'm directing. It could be a real film, uh, or it could be a part of some art installation or film installation I'm directing, you know. Mm -hmm. There might be actors, or there might be other people, there might be another photographer, it might be a sound person, and you know. At that point, yeah, I'm collaborative, and, and that actually makes things easier. Because, yes, you know, everybody really shows up and you just have to come up with something. Yeah. Whereas being alone in the studio, that's tough. And you mm -hmm. need all sorts of uh, strategies in order to get that, you know. I think with this writers, for example, they, they usually don't, they don't write more than an hour a day, maybe. You know, I, I, you know it's, it's first you go up and you sit in front of whatever and you think and you open your mails and blah, blah, blah. And, and then you slowly get closer and closer to the point where you actually on the other side, on the kind of art making side or whatever, you mm -hmm. know, and that for me takes a long time. Mm -hmm. 
And I find when I'm here, in, because now I'm, I'm free from, you know, everything by being here, mm-hmm. and I find that when I work here, I, I just move time. So I, I go up late, I, I stay up later and later at night. So you're dreaming as you, when you're working almost? Yeah, I suppose, but I think it's also the, the kind of postponing of the doing. Mm-hmm. That you you know you go up and you kind of like you make breakfast and do, 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 and I I do some yoga practice and um, you know I do things everything in order to not mm-hmm. uh, start working. Well, it is itself a strategy because it's interesting. You know, I've had a lot of conversations with different kinds of artists. You know, from the more collaborative like dancers and mm-hmm. choreographers, filmmakers, and different mm-hmm. uh, collaborators like that, and they have said that that time pressure the procrastination can actually not that they advocate procrastinating but for them it's about getting all the people in the room so that that time constraint that energy oh like when you have a deadline you have to perform tomorrow yeah that that adds energy so it's maybe a strategy too i've been working as an artist for i don't know 30 years now yes and you learn after a while how many reasonably good ideas you can do in a year or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know the, the kind of rhythm that, that you will have, wh- mm-hmm. whether you sit down and force yourself or not, it really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's more about, but, but I know that I have a very kind of like a, I'm not sure if it's even, yeah, it's a bit of procrastination, but it's also this, uh, it's kind of a starting, I need, when I'm at home, I usually go to my studio around 10, Every day, we should work. just interject here that yeah. you're from Stockholm, yes. but we're now speaking in the City International Design Paris, a residency that was a yeah. lo- that was given as a laureate. I usually go home at around seven or something like that in the evening. Mm-hmm. Then I only have a very fixed amount of time, and I know mm-hmm. it takes me two, three, four hours until mm-hmm. I get going. I'm the most creative or the most productive, mm-hmm. just like half an hour before I have to go. Mm-hmm. You know, and, mm-hmm. and then I, st- I just work, work and work and work, and then I can end up working at three, four at night. Mm-hmm. So I move the time very much. So now I go up, next day I go up at 12 instead of 10, and, I ch- and so I push it in order to get that time in the end of the day where I seem to be more productive. It's strange with the different issues that people have. Some people suffer from like too many ideas and then that's mm. about which one to focus on and sure. that's a, a, another kind of ailment. But we should speak about some of your very you know, moving and important work and that they are documentary, they are films that are incredibly mm. beautiful and that it seems what you're talking about is the process, that it is a process of meditation which I think is echoed through, through most of your films. They're not like frenetic activity at all. No, no, not at all. They're, they're quite slow. And I, I remember when I started doing these, these film installations and I just made them slower and slower mm. somehow. And I was kind of like testing an audience saying, okay, how, how slow can I make this without people just leaving? Film is very much about time. It's time-based. Yes. And, and film time and real time can be very different. You can look at a film and it takes two hours and it's actually a whole year worth of time. Or it can be the opposite, it can be very, very slow. And for me that film time or the time-based element is very important. And and also the kind of play with the the frustration of slowness. Making films in a gallery space or a museum space is very different to making films in a movie theatre. Because working for the movie theater, you have a specific starting time, a specific ending time. So you have this span of somewhere between, I don't know, 90 minutes and three hours or three and a half hours, which is a long film and 90 minutes is a short feature film. You can play with that. But Mm -hmm. if you work in a gallery space, people will come when they come. Mm -hmm. So you don't have any control over the specific time that they will be there. Mm-hmm. which means that what you have to do is something very different. You have to both make it interesting enough for them to stay at all, mm-hmm. but at the same time you cannot use the dramatic arc that you can use in a film. It's almost like making a hundred paintings or a hundred photographs. They have to be, every image needs to have... have it could have, be a possible beginning point. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and this is something that I've been very interested in. 
some uh, film artists, they actually put films up on a certain time. You come mm -hmm. in, in the black box and it says one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, it starts. But I find it less interesting to do it that way. It's interesting because I thought in terms of writing, filmmaking is, mm -hmm. is not my medium, although I've done things with documentaries, but I thought in terms of writing, every sentence is a possible beginning mm -hmm. sentence. Because you don't know, you can't guarantee, except in the cinema where they, mm. they've paid for a ticket, mm. usually mm. they won't mm. walk out. Mm. Yeah. You're right that this kind of fragmented narrative mm -hmm. that we're talking about, that doesn't have a fixed timing, you know, mm. uh, or, or a fixed length. What's going on is that you have a flow mm -hmm. that you meet mm -hmm. and you just is somewhere in the flow yes. and then you do something else. And that's the kind of state that I'm after. And also to speak of subjects and recurring themes in your time-based mm. installations and films is water. So that they can feel like ripples gaining mm. in intensity or quieting. Uh, but, and speaking of venues, the art fairs, the museums, the biennales, but now, in the last few years, and this relates to your kind of biographical, mm. relates to your life, you're now showing in other spaces, in hospitals. I've done public commissions Yes. in actually one hospital, large hospital, and now in another one, which is... The reason why I'm doing public commissions now is that the technology for moving images in public space is much better now. Digital signage is something that we see everywhere, which means that there's also equipment for presentation that is, is durable enough in order to have it as a permanent installation. So I'm doing public artwork, one for two hospitals now. It's not that far away from what I've been doing. The venue has changed. Yeah, the venue has changed. And the people, obviously, the audience changed. Yeah, and also the situation is different. Yeah. Uh, I, I did this for radiotherapy rooms uh, in Ska Hospital in Sweden, which is the largest hospital in Northern Europe. It's enormous, it's new and enormous. The healing process. Because of your also personal experience. Yeah, yes. But what differs is that it's not meant to be something that somebody goes to watch. But it's mm -hmm. something that is actually there all the time. It can be part of the healing process rather than just decorating a room in a hospital. I've been thinking around the ideas of, of, of healing environments and there's a lot of research being done. People heal faster if the room is facing a, a garden rather than a, a parking lot, for example. The theory is that an opening in the woods with a little bit of water is probably the, the most healing place, that's the safest, because mm -hmm. that's what we have built in as humans as the safe spot. The, the ocean is not safe, but the, mm -hmm. the little pond. Mm -hmm. So what I've done in this particular project with the radiotherapy rooms is mm -hmm. that I've taken images from healing wells, partly from Stellenbosch National Park in, in Cape Town, in Rio. So I've been filming these water surfaces, or I've been filming the trees through the water surface, basically to create that kind of like a water pond and the trees around, but from these places that have a kind of a healing history. Sound is also very complicated because it's not music. You can't have a melody going every day. People go crazy. So what we've done is that we've been working with kind of like modal tonalities mm -hmm. that doesn't really become music, you know, they're just like in between. It's all like different kinds of meditations, you know, and, and also mindfulness practice is probably also a physically healing process mm -hmm. and maybe the best way of, of dealing with anxiety. So that's the, the, the project in the radiotherapy rooms. Now I'm doing another project which is like four large elevators in a hospital in the south of Sweden. So in these elevators we're doing screens in the ceiling where you go up in a tree. Yeah. So then the tree will be the kind of metaphor so that you will maybe identify with something interesting. So there's a lot of things that I'd like to discuss there and it's interesting that you say it's not so different from what you've been doing and I was so moved by your other works but in contrast as I said you, you recognize the, the venue is 
is so different in terms of how people receive it and how emotional they are. And I love some of the questions you said, like maybe they're rising in an elevator and they may be waiting for the news. That, yeah. You know, and they have to be preparing themselves yeah. or preparing themselves for the next step of healing. So these are the points that I think where, that, where art can be important. Because totally. honestly, what we're talking about yeah. is that sometimes you said, oh, I'm going on Biennale, it's like mm. commerce. They're there to see or to listen to experience. Mm. But often if you look around at the people, they're not. Mm. Then that's sad. also this kind of inter-art yeah. discourse, which is yeah. like it only, it's, it's like a whole kind of ecosystem of itself, where, where yeah. you know, people are making careers, people are mm-hmm. buying and selling, people are making Commodities. moves. Make, yeah. yeah. And it's less of a kind of, it's less of something relating to to the rest of society. Yeah. So in in life and death mm. situations where people are reminded, mm. well, I think so it's very beautiful what you're mm. doing. Mm. Also, I think that that's one of the highest values of art. Not that it has to have a function, mm. but yeah. you're touching on people's memories, yeah. their memories of trees and water. Mm. But you're, that's the essential aspect of art because we ask ourselves this question, mm. what is the purpose mm. of mm. art? Mm. Yeah, yeah and sometimes you think, what are yeah. you doing it for? for people who are selling as commodities. Mm. You're an artist because you can't be something else. Mm-hmm. You, you just have to, for some reason. In my case, for example, I can't really, I seem to not want to do other things. Every time I move into some other arena, I, I just like, I just leave it. I don't, I don't seem to, to be interesting enough in doing something else. That may be true. I think that there is that, that compulsive, obsessive element. But isn't it so nice to then be able to share that with others who aren't artists, like in the hospitals? We're doing, you know, this public artwork, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that is... These are commissioned works, you yes. know, so it's not something that I've initiated. It's rather something that, you know, somebody is, you know, I won competitions and... and, mm-hmm. and got these commissions. It's closer to maybe architecture or design than it is mm-hmm. to, to art. I'm, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about how do you relate to a specific situation like that from an, from an artistic perspective. And I think the artistic part is always this kind of like, you, have, you relate in a kind of a critical way to the situation. You know, for example, in the hospitals I've been... So what is, how do you... How do you relate to the hospital situation? Yeah, I can add another layer of, of healing, another idea of healing, another understanding of healing that maybe is less of the kind. So I'm adding some spiritual healing or some other, you know what I'm saying? And I'm mm-hmm. just adding another, and, and by doing that, I'm changing the situation from being a mechanical to a more biological or more organic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think the, the way that you can work and the way that I've been fortunate to do is like I can still do moving imagery th- mm-hmm. that I do in the way that I do it because mm-hmm. it's not really um, film like mm-hmm. you do in a movie theater, but you know, this installation work, it lends itself very much to, to mm-hmm. this permanent artwork. So, so it's nice and the technology is there so you can have screens that can, uh, you know, be in these special environments and they don't they don't get destroyed and people can't destroy them and, and you don't have the technical problems that you that maybe thirty years ago. I think it's a great lasting impact and, and I think mm. that and you've been told that by mm. you know, I guess nurses, doctors yeah, and patients. Yeah, they, they, yeah they've they've been very it's been very I mean it's not been on for so long. But I mean, they, they've been, it's been received very sort of, you know, it's been lovingly received, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like, because that's another thing with public artwork, mm-hmm. it might be really artistically clever, mm-hmm. but for people that meets the work, it might be, you know, it's like, I don't want this, whatever. You meet with a kind of blindness, and yeah. what's what interesting yeah. is you're, you're meeting people coming close mm. to their mortality or mm. trauma or whatever, they're mm. open. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting place to be as an author. But often what inspires art, obviously, is often a kind of trauma, or having gone beyond trauma, and you go back and mm. to speak to those who are mm. in a trauma, well, that seems like very important. It's not been something, as you said, throughout your 
uh, career, you've made films about, you know, social justice and slavery, and mm. and both your parents are, are your father's a documentary. Yeah, my father is a, was a, uh, a documentary photographer, mm-hmm. and my mother was a documentary producer. So, my childhood was in, in kind of in the news very much. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, my father was everywhere. He was in the Vietnam War. He was in the pig crisis in Cuba, when, which was the closest to, to nuclear war we've seen. He was uh, in, in, in different parts of Africa. He was in South Africa during apartheid. He was, you know, in kind of places where what that was talked about in the news. Mm-hmm. And my mother at that time, she was doing more, more reporter type stuff, mm-hmm. television. First, she's a journalist. Mm-hmm. She was first a writing journalist and then she went into Swedish television. Mm-hmm. So I was brought up in this kind of like news discourse. Hi, I'm Peter Freywitzer, a first year student at Oberlin College. As you just heard, Mats Helm's work features nature in order to help the healing process of hospital patients, building on research that has suggested that people actually heal faster when exposed to the visuals of the outdoors. The healing benefits of nature, however, extend past those who have had a physical trauma and those who are injured. Taking some time to sit in nature can be beneficial to anyone, especially if one's mental energy has been depleted by the stresses of work or the modern world. As a college student, I've recently rediscovered the healing power of nature and the benefits of taking a break to appreciate the natural world. Especially as we deal with the trials of a pandemic that have forced us indoors and onto Zoom classes and meetings, it's important to remember to still find joy and healing away from screens and work. It's easy to forget to do so, especially when you have a busy schedule, like if you're a college student or working from home. Recently, as springtime has slowly returned, I've started working outside more, If you haven't yet today, I encourage you to get up, take a break, and go outdoors if you can, even for a short while. Being in nature can truly be healing for anyone. In past summers, I've worked on farms and have found that as my connection with the earth deepens, so does my ability to process mental problems. I also saw the effects of being connected with nature on people around me. A few summers ago, I worked for a nonprofit organization called The Food Project in the Boston area, an organic farming project that attempts to both improve the lives of people living in Boston's inner cities and hire teenagers from the cities and suburbs to teach them about organic farming, food insecurity, and the natural world. Often, we would set up small neighborhood gardens on previously vacant lots and watch communities rally around the farming effort, their lives visibly brightened by the simple tasks of weeding or planting. The food produced would go to local bodegas and restaurants, places that often struggled to get fresh vegetables because of their high prices in supermarkets. The growing access to healthy, fresh food was a part of what made people happy, but a large part of it was seeing plants bloom where there was previously hard soil and chemicals. The concept of urban farming is similar to Matt Helden's projects, which bring the natural world to the medical, the artificial. When he talks about bringing something of the natural organic world to the mechanical, I think of these urban farming plots, bright green dots against the grays and browns of the city. I always think in such busy places, there should be havens of nature to retreat to, places where you feel like you are connecting with nature, safe in the way Hyung imagines the patients should feel. When you're ready, we'll continue with Matt Hyung and his work. Next, he'll be talking about his family and some of the inspiration for his work. Now, back to the interview. And and yet your time frame is much different, but your subject matter overlaps. Yeah, but I will not be a filmmaker. You know, I will. I, I started as a sculptor. You know, I made big concrete sculpture. But I started playing with video and film, you know, it's like I worked with televisions doing, you know, sculptures on televisions with somebody inside. Um, Every time I did something that involved a video camera, people were interested. Every time I did something involving concrete or whatever, 
nobody was interested or less mm -hmm. interested. And I think what I had that uh, other people didn't have at the time was that I had a lot of filmmaking knowledge. Just, you know, I knew how the camera worked. Nobody yeah. else did really. The art schools, they had no real film knowledge, mm -hmm. uh, whereas the film schools, they did film. Mm -hmm. so, so, so I had those skills with me and then that evolved and then what really changed was when I was, I made a project where I studied at, at a school outside of Detroit called mm -hmm. Cranbrook Academy of Art in the United States. Uh, the hills where the school is was the second wealthiest neighborhood in the United States mm -hmm. and Detroit was the second most violent city in the United States. So it's a very enormous differences between that enormously wealthy neighborhood where the school was and then you, you drove downtown Detroit and it was something completely different. I, my father was dying in cancer and I was around I don't know, 35, 36, mm -hmm. and we started talking about our history. We, we hadn't that much of a connection before, but then when he was dying, we started talking, and I was talking about Detroit, and he was talking about a film that he did with Stokely Carmichael, who was the leader yeah, of the yeah. Black Panther Party. Mm -hmm. And I did a project where I just went back there pretty much and I found the people then in the local Panther Party group that he was part of and did a project called White Flight uh, 97 and that was a big sort of change for me because it, it was I had like two pages in flash art and so I came from pretty much being uh, nobody to being somebody in a very very short time and, and that was a kind of a double projection video installation. I, I did three projects with, which was mixing mine and my father's footage mm -hmm. because he was, he had died and I got access to what he's, well, not everything but a lot of what he's done. And through putting uh, them in this conversation, the double screen which appears yeah. in, yeah. or split screen, yeah, yeah. which appears in a, uh, stylistically in a lot of your yeah. work, what did you feel you were able to add to that footage of the, I mean, what perspective? Uh, my father was away most mm -hmm. of the time when I was a kid. He never took any family photographs, mm -hmm. so there is hardly any documentation of me as a kid or him or But he family. documented the world. Yeah, he was traveling, <laughs> he came home and he didn't want to work. So, you know, mm -hmm. this was job and, and so my childhood, this became kind of like my, my photo album from my childhood. So I started to kind of like break down what he's done and patching things together and trying to find what did he see. So I was interested in if he saw children when he was traveling or... So I, I kind of looked at the material in a way that's very different to, to the way it was used then. Mm -hmm. I was trying to reflect on that material through whatever footage I could do. Mm -hmm. And so it became this dialogue between the dead father's mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. and, and whatever I came up with. Uh, and it was a process of saying goodbye to him and, and also mm -hmm. trying to find him in me. I got stuck in that kind of multi-screen mm -hmm. because it's a, very, it's a very playful way of, of, mm -hmm. of working with, with moving images because it's very seldom Usually, moving images in the movie theater, it's a montage mm -hmm. over time, you mm -hmm. know, so you change images over time by cutting. Whereas mm -hmm. if you put them side by side, you, you, you're not changing over time, but mm -hmm. you, you're rather uh, working parallel. Just like looking at twins, for instance, mm. you're, and then if they're not exact twins, as I mm. see as you mm. put the juxtaposition, yeah. but then you're seeing how they're similar. These are yeah. two places yeah. often in yeah. different parts of the world, for yeah. instance. Yeah. It's interesting to play with, but you felt you got stuck at a certain point in that. Not stuck in the sense that, I, that it's something negative, but it became a kind of a language that I, I have been fascinated by, and now mm. I'm I'm not all the time doubling, so I'm moving between, you know, wide shots that are only one, yeah. you know, so I'm, I'm less locked into that double screen. But I very often play or go back and forth between one image and two images. I've done projects which are three and four and two, but, but 
it's the, the double is very interesting. No, you know, I'm attracted to doubles in mm. different ways. I have, well, sometimes I did a split, but not like that, mm. just to have a one image on itself and then text over mm. an image or something. But yeah, because of this way where our brain is organized, mm. yeah, and uh, the heart, mm. there's a, a dividing line between yeah. us, so that echoes us. So mm. we like to see mirrors of ourselves. And mirrors are, of course, interesting. Mm. It is clever and important that you give the eye a time to have a rest from that mm. and to go with those single image yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Because another thing, as you say, contrast and compare in journalism, mm. right? It's heavy on the yeah. on the perception system. Yeah. Because, You're learning a lot. And because it's also like when you're looking at a single image, you mm. look at one place at the time, whereas this, it draws the kind of attention two ways at the same time. You know, if it's if it's like the, the, the project I did in Rio, for example, it's, I don't know, eight, nine meters wide and mm. each screen is, is three, four meters, mm. then then it's not like you, you know, you, you can't lock eyes anyway. You, mm. you will, it will be, you, you stay in one space. The quality of, you know, you know, the best art is that you can look at it twice, definitely, and have a different experience. Yeah. Yeah. You will always have a different experience with sure. this on the second viewing. And I also did that particular project, which is that there's one thing going on on one side of the screen, and there's another thing going on on the other side, and they're synchronized, which means that you can like, really never see the whole piece. You cannot experience the whole piece because you have to go to the other side, and then you miss something on one side. So it's mm -hmm. uh, so, and I think very much is to, to kind of like what I do. I repeat things in other ways, but I make it too complex to really. You can't see the whole thing. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. You know, wherever you put yourself, you won't see the whole thing. Mm -hmm. and, and I find that interesting. It's like life. You know, you go out in the city, and and if you go. To the right, you will miss everything on the left. I think good art mm -hmm. is something that happens in the viewer. Yeah. And, and creating that kind of tension and expectation in the viewer is like you, you put up something and it's not really saying anything. I yeah. don't think that art, any art, is saying anything in itself. Good art has, mm -hmm. a, has a, a capacity of generating something in the viewer. Yes. And that's what I'm hoping is that, you know, I, I create that kind of like uh, vacuum. Oh, what is this? How can I, how can I understand this? And, uh, you know, it's like this, this kind of a little bit of anxiety in the view. You said it was really tough to see these two. And I think that it's a little bit like that. Mm -hmm. But and I should say, it also has that meditative quality. I've been thinking a lot about moving images that have no trajectory. Like if you look into to a fire, you know, mm -hmm. in a fireplace that just moves, you can sit there, you can look at this. The infinite change of imagery. It's a starting point. It, it's not on its way, it's just, it just is. Or if you look at, you know, like a water surface, that it's just like, it just is. I like the state of, of just being there. Mm -hmm. And, and people are saying, asking me, how long is your film? And I hate to answer that, because they usually, in terms of length, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the loops are between half an hour and an hour, mm -hmm. around that, usually. Mm -hmm. is the, because that's long enough for it to not be repeating too much, you know. And then it's more of an, how much time you can expect an audience to uh, sure. to be there, but I'm not expecting anybody to see the whole film. No. It's nice if people sit, but I, you know, sometimes I can see people, even with the little thing that you saw here, I had people sitting here for three hours, you mm -hmm. know, it's like, and I didn't tell anybody how long the film was. It is interesting when you don't, when people don't know something is starting, it becomes part of their, it becomes continuous with themselves. Yeah. And yeah. also it becomes a kind of a negotiation with yourself, mm -hmm. you know, it's like you, you meet this video and you go, oh man, how long can this be? Have you filmed the people watching your videos? Because no, that's interesting. I've <laughs> looked at people watching, and, yeah. uh, but I feel like it's a little, it's a little unfair yes. to, to film people. I work with time-based art. Uh, what differs with what I do compared mm -hmm. to a painter or a still photographer mm -hmm. or, or a sculptor is that I'm actually working with time. 
Mm-hmm. So time is the, the central difference. It's the timing that, that makes the difference. And my time is, is very different to most of the moving images I that you so. see. Yeah. I, I have a slowness mm-hmm. and a kind of a timing that is different, purposely different. A composer recently said to me, and I thought it was an interesting line, that in memory there are no clocks, that all time exists mm. simultaneously. And I, I'm still thinking about that. But that's true, it's a construct. Mm. Uh, that's what I work with. It's the mm-hmm. time that I work with. It's mm-hmm. Everything is about time. There's a lot of things that I do that maybe is not noticeable, but I, when I film water, I always film with, in double speed, which means that it's half the speed when it's shown. So there's, there's a lot of things that I always do that, that flips time. Just a slight, you know, which means that what happens if you film water with half the speed is that it becomes heavier, you know. That's how a liquid with twice the density would behave. Mm-hmm. And, I can, and I can hang on to, to clips way too long for, you know, if you were cutting any kind of narrative-based uh, fiction, you would have cut a long, long time ago. I don't do one-shot projects yet. And sometimes there's a lot of images in the room, but I don't cut fast. Mm -hmm. So there would be like, I don't know, four projections and five projections on the floor. And so there would be a lot of images in the room, but they won't be cut fast. Yes, and and again, that's engaging, as I understand, the imagination of the viewer yeah. because their eyes traveling from place to place exactly. is cutting for you. Is that exactly? Yeah. I don't believe in in you know interactive art where you click things, but the kind of navigating in the room, mm-hmm. which is interactive, which means yeah. that everybody would pretty much experience a different piece. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody comes in from that side, and somebody comes in from the other side, and. Somebody's in a hurry, somebody comes at one point, somebody comes at another point, and, and so they will all be in that space on different premises. I really liked also that thing you said about looking for your father and you, but to speak about the places that have been, where you have filmed in Africa, West Africa, Brazil, how, how they've found their way into your work. But it also is interesting to me, the occupation of your parents, you know, the news cycle being so fast, you're talking about dealing with time, and that you're looking for the, it seemed, like the lives, the experience behind the news, which doesn't give us enough. But that's Mm. just my understanding. I think I'm interested in the concept of documentary, not as a narrative or a storytelling, but I'm interested in the idea that I can, the kind of, uh, a, a good documentary filmmaker is somebody that has unique access, mm-hmm. you know, somebody that has access to something that other people doesn't have, which means that you can be somewhere that you wouldn't be unless this filmmaker was there. Yes. And I think in that sense, I'm interested in the documentary. I'm interested in being in places where, um, well, other people, I suppose, can, but it would be very uh, uncomfortable or yeah. complicated for somebody yeah. to be there. So that element of documentary, I would really like to bring in. But the news kind of thing, I'm not so interested in. I'm not interested in something that is only important for five minutes. You know, now this is important. Tomorrow, something else is important. But I'm in, in more interested in the kind of what is important for human beings you know, in general. Yeah. It's not just on this particular day and then it's yeah. useless. Because yeah. that's news. Mm-hmm. Now I don't, I don't watch television news. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do read the newspaper in the morning, mm-hmm. paper newspaper in the morning. That's mm-hmm. what I read. Yeah. Uh, and that's the kind of, that's the speed that faster than that is too fast, you mm-hmm. know, for me. I, in order to get any bearing into what is actually going on you know it's like oh it's burning here it's burning there it's burning yeah it's burning i can't make sense out of that it's a little bit pornographic the speed yeah i think so totally Mm -hmm. and i suppose i'm less interested in that Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm obviously i'm interested in people artists mm -hmm. but just people in general and at the the pace at which we live which is accelerating but it's still breathable Mm -hmm. 
seeable, you know, mm. hearable, mm. and that is not something you get as much in the news. It's like a yeah. statistic, as yeah. you say, oh, it's a statistic, but these are lives. I think as a documentary filmmaker, which I, in a sense, become, Yes. I, by getting the access to the, the people in the local Panther Party group in, in Detroit, mm -hmm. where Stoker came from, and then through them contact with a church called the Shrine of the Black Madonna, who mm -hmm. was very important and they're still around. My access is, is kind of a development of something, mm -hmm. you know, my father followed Stokely, so I suddenly got access to, to a kind of black separatist community. And it's interesting because I got, as a white middle-aged man I got access to something where I'm not really allowed you know mm. and that access gave me a possibility to do something and show that to somebody else and, and by doing that I can share knowledge and understanding and a lot of things mm. and then so these things have taken me to other places mm -hmm. uh, and then I've spent time in West Africa. One thing leads to another. If you're careful, it very much I think it depends on how you treat the people that you, you know, if you get access, how do you, how do you take care of that access? How do you uh, treat people in a respectful way? I don't think there's any person in any of my work that is presented in a, in a kind of disrespectful way. It's been very important to me to all the time be respectful with my subjects. And this is very different to your Michael Moore kind of documentary, which is all about making the bad guys look bad. I'm not making the bad guys look bad. I'm making the good guys look good. That's yeah. my strategy. And, mm -hmm. and that's very different to to news, to documentaries, to the kind of that we usually see. You're not, sto you're not stoking conflicts. I, I'm not interested in what's wrong. I'm interested in what is right. Mm -hmm. Find people that do something that is worthwhile doing, that makes sense, that is, is constructive. And, you know, that's what interests me. The good guys, not the bad guys. You're looking for experiences, I, as I understand, mm. that evolve where you can evolve through those encounters. Yeah. And so if you could speak about the, some of the individual projects, so with uh, the Black Panthers, what you, what you learned from those conversations, and then yeah. so, some of the others, you've done projects on, on the church, on people who, oh, I love this phrase, live in a kind of constant state of translation. Mm -hmm. If you could just speak about those and what, how do you feel that you <laughs> grew? It's a big question, <laughs> sorry. I think if you come to any group with with respect and also being reasonably sure about who you are i think you can talk to anybody but at the same time there's two sides of this i think we can resolve a lot of conflicts mm -hmm. by being respectful mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time i don't think we can understand everybody i don't think everybody is the same yeah. Uh, and also that we should understand. I don't think we can understand, but we can respect, we can coexist, and we can negotiate, and we can cooperate. If everybody was the same, why would I go anywhere? Mm -hmm. you know, it would be, like, as you said, yeah. no choice of turning left or yeah. right. And I met so many people with so many interesting ideas and interesting ways of doing things, mm -hmm. and it works. The idea that you can uh, with so many different experiences and circumstances and, and, and context, you can still survive. You know, it's, it's so different how people's life look and, and how they go about their day. I was in Liberia and we were visiting, a, I was one of the people in our film and, and he took us to his village up in the you know, interior of Liberia. We, we, and we came to that village and we met his father and his father was really angry at him because he hadn't told him that we were coming. Mm -hmm. They had to, you know, uh, make a dinner for us mm -hmm. or some, some food. So they had this stew that we were eating mm -hmm. with your hands and, and it was a stew. And so and I said, what is it? What, what are we eating? And we were eating snails that was, they were this big. And they, we, we should describe that's larger than a, yeah, a football. Yeah, really, yeah, it's like yeah. an American football, big snails that was kind of like um, tiger pattern. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and they looked like, you know, the most, I don't know, alien. It was something from a whole other planet, that thing. And they told me, yeah, well, these have grown over that. They used to be much smaller. The last 20 years, they've been really, really big. And I was just like, I ate, but I just felt like I was in a hole, in a bubble. And then that's like where reality is so different. I didn't know that you could even eat those. Yes. But you eat because you're there and you have no choice. You're just in a whole other world mm-hmm. suddenly. And it was when Ebola had broken out in, oh. in uh, Liberia. And, and still that was less of a... This was more direct and, and traumatic to me than Ebola, actually. Being in a situation where you have, you know, food is very special. I mean, you have just have, to, if somebody's serving you this, you just eat. Mm. Because otherwise the spell is broken. You're disrespectful. You can't just not eat. Mm. Well, that's some kind of restaurant review. It's more frightening than Ebola. <laughs> <laughs> the situation that I'm eating something that I don't even know. And Ebola was transferred mm. through a bat. You mm. know that. That's what they think, mm-hmm. at least. And it's what you call, when they eat wildlife, called bushmeat. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be anything. And some of that meat is that bat. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what transferred Ebola so fast from yeah. in the middle of Africa to West Africa. And, mm-hmm. and so food at the time was a little complicated too. <laughs> but it's just these situations that are really, really different. And in terms of difference, I mean, now you spend a lot of your time, again, completely different culture, in uh, Brazil, like half the year yeah. or? No, not that much, but a couple of months a year. Maybe. Yes, because your partner is yeah. from, there. Yeah, she's from there. And actually, lately less. Yes. Because of the political situation in Brazil, it's become less attractive to be there. Right. Uh, and in terms of shutting down universities and there, it's uh-huh. it's becoming it's a really frightening development. Okay, and then in terms of, and it's so sad there with the Amazon. They've been burning the Amazon all mm-hmm. the time, but now the new leadership in, in Brazil is just like completely uninterested in anything that has to do with the environment. They're completely denying climate change. There's a lot of frightening things going on in the world right now mm-hmm. uh, that is going completely against the kind of uh, respectful approach that I sympathize with. And something that, which has been a lot in the news, and I've been so happy to see those mm. movements, you know, in terms of started by Greta Thunberg. I mean, how do you feel about that? Are you hopeful? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, she's obviously right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I mean, her position is pretty much what the UN Climate Committee mm-hmm. has said. Yes. Uh, a lot of the kind of discourses on migration mm-hmm. and differences and, and, and nationalism and racism is kind of like I think that the climate and climate change and the, the environment is accelerating a lot of these things it, it's like the number one it becomes more and more urgent mm-hmm. to to fix the planet first and, and the people later but uh, in what order and how, it's very hard because if you if you look at the kind of a global situation right now you it's unfixable seen mm-hmm. from one person's perspective. Mm-hmm. So the only way to fix it is to fix some and then others for, have to fix some. And we have to spread the, the opposite to all the alternative right-wing people and mm-hmm. neoliberal uh, economy. I mean, we have these two things. We have these mm-hmm. nationalists and the neoliberal economy. That combination is what we're seeing. You know, we're seeing this racist, nationalist, stuff but with with a whole open neoliberal economy at the same time where everything gets privatized like you know and and control is lifted everywhere so there is no i mean what is the the kind of news that we see in in social media today is completely there's no sender there is no critical analysis there is no source criticism there's no nothing we're just meeting somebody saying something we don't know if it's right or wrong or a lie or anything this this isn't like uh, so so the, the kind of discourse private has lost its critical i don't know it's, it's a very very dangerous times i'm thinking you know when i was younger and i when i was studying we learned how to you know, never trust one source. 
how to deal with information in, in a way that you could kind of figure out what you could trust or not trust. But today, how, how do you navigate algorithm-based social media? How do you know what's right or wrong? How do you know what's true? I don't know. Yes. So it is very interesting. I, have, I feel very guilty in terms of, I know that I'm doing a lot with social projects mm. and young people mm. and education, mm. but at the same time, I know I just have to, you were talking about the obsessiveness of artists and having to complete the project. Mm. So I know mm. I have to complete these things. Mm. At the same time, okay, there can be a little part that's to do with mm. the environment, mm. but I know that that's mm. the environment is the issue. We have to be able to compromise. We have to be able to, uh, we have to be more generous towards somebody that mm. doesn't, think the same way or behave the same way. This is so compli complicated. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Greta is right. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> I wish I could be as... I still do take planes. Mm. I did a lot of trains, but I still do mm. take planes. Mm. Yeah, if we all went on that carbon diet, mm. solve a lot. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like we're sending goods back and forth. And I think the, the major problem is not the persons, but I think it's the industry and it's the wars, for example, that's, mm. you know, wars mm. is way worse than anything else. We're talking about, you know, electric cars, but there's no electric cars in the war. The, the carbon footprint of the American military is just insane. We have discussed many of your works, but mm. if there are things <laughs> that I have missed that we didn't go into the, your, your works inspired you know, by you know, conversations with religion mm. or immigration, we kind of touched mm. on mm. it, but not mm. completely. I come from this uh, uh, country in the north that is, is extremely secular and liberal, mm. but it, that's an extreme. Sweden is an extreme. The rest of the world are not secular and, and not liberal either. Mm -hmm. And I think in order to understand the world, in order to have a conversation that is not only happening in the little bubble that I'm mm -hmm. from, mm -hmm. then you have to consider religion. And so it's been something super important in my work all the mm -hmm. time, as important as politics. For me, politics and religion is, is heavily connected. I've, I've done works in churches in Sweden and trying to kind of like expand or, or place works that are, are, are kind of like, I'm not sure if, if critical is the right uh, word, but uh, reflecting, for example, I'm, I'm uh, reading some uh, parts from the Quran in one church, and I put a Catholic statement up in the Protestant uh, churches in order to kind of like open up the religious differences maybe. And I made this film about the, the church in Detroit, the Shrine of the Black Madonna. Yeah, so, so it's been important. And I think it's important in, in terms of understanding the world. Also, how do you sustain a kind of... I mean, if you look at the civil rights movement, a lot of what was going on in the 60s and 70s is all gone now. But the Shrine is still there. And I think the reason is that they have both a political and a spiritual side. Mm -hmm. And I think in order to sustain any kind of movement, I think there needs to be a kind of a spiritual side to that movement. Because there is a, there is a practical side to people, but there's also a spiritual side to people. Mm -hmm. And if a movement or a political movement can't sustain those two, I, I, I think it doesn't hold over time. Right. It's because we're essentially you're generating a sense of family among or a, you're yeah, generating a belief, a, yeah. Yeah, or mm -hmm. meaning. Mm -hmm. I think meaning. Yeah. That, and I think in, in, in the end that's what it's all about, is to search mm -hmm. for meaning. If if something becomes meaningful mm -hmm. it, it has a whole other you know, and, and a lot of what we're doing and seeing and experiences is meaningless. Mm -hmm. And, and meaning is a spiritual entity. You know? yeah. Meaning is more complex than a, a kind of a rational construction. It is, because it's that wonder and it's the yeah. searching for yeah. beauty and it's, it's, it's true. I love working with you know, young people because mm. they're really closer mm. to that mm. uh, search, but it also saddens me sometimes to encounter young people or, the, or those older 
who don't have a sense of meaning in their life, or it's it's very dim. I mean, that's it to to encounter no hopelessness. No sense of meaning. That's depression. Or you know what I mean? Like they don't feel like oh, I could do this or I could do that or why yeah. am I? You know, like they don't. It's not yeah. like getting out of like we're lucky as artists. You can say whatever you procrastinate to get things done, but there is this sense for whatever it is, you already have a meaning mm. and you have mm. to put that into your projects. Maybe yeah. Oh. But meaning for me, I mean meaning in, in not not a meaning, but meaning is yes. the is the is the kind of spiritual. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like what is it for? What it is? Who am I? Where am I? You know, and mm-hmm. and I don't think you can understand that, but you can experience it. And and I think the work that I'm doing is going from from being more political to becoming more spiritual. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the the older I get, the more I'm I'm interested in the experience itself. You know, yes. the, I suppose spiritual consequence of those. And um, can you locate the, the the time when you felt that you made that transition, that turning point? I, I don't think it's an no, absolute One, turning yeah. point, but there is something. But when I started, I was or. These, the, the, the film-based work started with the White Flight project, where, which was very much centered around what happened to the Black Panthers and also what happened to Detroit and the civil rights movement. And then I also made this film called Black Nation, which centered around the church and their history. And it is spiritual in the sense that it's about the church, but it's very political. And, and, mm-hmm. And I think I'm beginning to question the position of a white media. I feel like at one point I felt I had something to contribute, mediating something that came from a kind of a a black community into a white. Uh, But now I feel like there's uh, so many super gifted, clever, interesting black people that can do that. So that it makes it meaningless for me to have that position. And I'm not so super interested in, in, in kind of in a kind of sentimental self-reflection as a white person either. Mm-hmm. A little bit I'm interested in it. But mm-hmm. what becomes more important for me is the idea of a, of a more of a universal meaning or a, or a kind of a spiritual experience instead is something that I can, that I can play with and work with without mm-hmm taking a position that I shouldn't take. Right, exactly. As you said, we can't know and understand everyone and no, then we no, don't preach no, or whatever. No. Yeah. And, and I think there is, I, I mean, I, I've always said that, you know, I'm interested in justice. You know? mm-hmm. I, it's, it's been very, very important to me, justice, something mm-hmm. that I find unjust and I can support the one that is treated unjustly. Mm-hmm. But you can do that, but, but the position of the kind of white savior, I, I would like not to have, you know. Right. I don't want to go in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I can help if I see that I can see something is unjust and I can, I can mediate at yeah. one point. You have to be all the time careful with, you know, am I doing something I shouldn't do now? Am, mm-hmm. I, am I taking a role that is actually taking something away from somebody? I can help give access, I can uh, help give interest, I can help uh, spreading messages, I can be an agent of some kind of change. But you have to always reflect on that, being that agent, that when, at which point are you actually limiting somebody else by, you know, having that position. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm, uh, I'm stepping down Yes. Uh, at this point, uh, from being the political voice. Yes. I don't want to be the political voice of somebody else. Right. But I mean, I do reflect on, on, on the, the, the state of things, mm-hmm. you know, but, but there's something, and, and that's why I'm moving, that's one of the reasons why I'm moving in, in a kind of a less political and more spiritual. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have so many of the voice, so much noise on the other yeah. side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and just, you just have to be careful when you're uh, speaking on somebody else's behalf, mm-hmm. when they can speak for themselves. You yes. have to be super careful. At this point in time, that's what I'm thinking of. And I'm also kind of, for personal reasons, coming back to a more process of work, and, and it's something that is fulfilling for me mm-hmm. as a person. And I think that's also a point in my life where that becomes more important. 
Yeah, because also one can become filled with anger for the injustices, yeah. if even totally. spiritual yeah. as one is. Totally. And I, maybe I, you don't want to go into it, because we had been talking before mm. about certain social crises. It mm. was everywhere, but in Sweden mm. too. Yeah. Um, and does that make... Oh, does that make me angry, or does that make <laughs> me uh, unable to do work about it? You mean? I don't know. No, I don't know either. I'm, I'm just... But I think what happens over time is that it's that you, you, your focus changes and your interest mm. changes. It's easy, I think, when you're younger to have a very strong political position right. uh, that over time gets, you get less sure, mm -hmm. you know. I, I, I don't think I have the easier answers that I thought that I had at one point, mm -hmm. you know. It's like, like we're talking about the environment and what can be done and you're, like, you're almost like Greta knows I don't. Greta knows because she's also very good at being absolute, but yeah, over yeah. time we can become absolute. But she actually practices what she yeah. says, yeah. so that's interesting. It's hard to be certain when you've seen both three, four, five, six yeah. sides, you know, yeah, all the sides. Yeah. But I think it's, uh, yeah. I don't know what it, uh, but it's also this, this kind of like the concept of, of an, an, uh, an artistic practice, you know, apart from the specific artworks is also something that matures mm -hmm. and it, it moves in a direction that you it, it's not something that you oh I when you're 20 or I don't know decide that I will be an artist and I will start being very political and I will end up being very spiritual it's not something mm -hmm. that it's not a plan mm -hmm. but it's something that I think it, it happens to me and I think there's uh, there is a certain human logic to that too apart from the my being very, very careful of speaking for somebody else, which I find very complicated. So it's interesting because, you know, we're coming full circle, mm, so we're coming mm. to the end of the interview, mm. and we began discussing, you were talking about your son and mm. that youthful, artistic mm, mm, impetus, that mm. all the energy is always mm. creating. Mm. And you're talking about, you know, you know mid-career, yeah. looking back, reflection, and how... He would love to have the, the, that state of constant energy, of the pure idea, mm. but then becoming a mature artist is mm. about the distillation. Mm. And I but think, I think it, it's yes. also about, I, I think if you can come back to that very natural poetry mm -hmm. that a child yeah. has, which is very spiritual in many ways, mm -hmm. you know, it's not so kind of argumentative and full of, it, yeah. it's not an argument. It's no. just a, a, a kind of artistic consequence. When you're a young artist, when you're mm -hmm. maybe 20, you know, the, the kind of the enthusiasm with just touching anything and making anything, mm -hmm. uh, that's something that I would really love to come back to. But I, that's much harder now. Mm -hmm. I'm much more, you know, looking at what I've done. I can see how, how beautiful it was to, you know, I can look at myself and see how beautiful I was, but how dreadful the results was, you know? <laughs> you, too, you were really saying that the mm. distillation of the idea, the maturing over time, mm. is, is, is better, it may have pains. I mean, there's something really wonderful about, if, if I look at my own practice, you yes. know, uh, when it's getting more close to a kind of poetic, spiritual poetic, whatever, inside, it's very fulfilling. It's much uh, more harmonic to be in that than to be in a, in a kind of political argument. Because the political argument is so fragile, you know, it's so, it, it's always a kind of tension in, in, in any. Uh, sure, you have yeah, to be self righteous sometimes. Yeah, but whereas in, in a kind of more mindful practice you're you're in something that is 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 in itself soothing and i love to be there you know me myself i love to be in that and I, it's always been there in my work but mm -hmm. I've, I've always had the kind of political position as the reason mm -hmm. you know i have this argument that i want to propose and therefore i can play with this slow images of whatever Mm -hmm. And now I'm just playing with the slow images as they are, you yeah. know, and, and that's, it's fantastic, you know, it's like, I mean, if you talk about the hospital things, you know, they're really long, 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 just mm -hmm. super... Immersions. Yeah, 
and, and so they are very much the meditation in itself. Mm -hmm. uh, but it has a very clear purpose, but mm -hmm. it doesn't make them... And it's very soothing. Mm -hmm. you know, it's fun. I remember taking some of the images. I did some mm -hmm. things around the lake in Sweden mm -hmm. in the fall, like now. Mm -hmm. Where the leaves had, you know, they were orange and yellow, and you know, where the leaves, there's there's one point in time when mm -hmm. the leaves goes from green to to brown and orange, and you know, and I remember standing outside and filming through the water up in this. It was so fantastic, mm -hmm. just just to be there and do that, and, mm -hmm. and there's no there's no argument in that. You know, You're not imposing no, a vision no. on it. You're just there doing that, and 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 you feel so connected, and, mm -hmm. and that's a beautiful thing. And it's almost like, for me, I, as an artist, I've, I've, my career has been in a very poetry in the fine arts have not been very strong. You know, poetry has been like, you know, it's been first conceptual earth art things, and then it became the postmodern. It was the that, but we should say that you have incorporated texts and translations of texts. Sure, it has sure. Been a There's a lot of text yeah. in, in my work. And, 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 but, but what I'm saying is that my, my career has been in a time where the, the poetry has not been valued so much in yes. itself. And I think it still isn't. But, it, no. but it's so nice mm. to do, you know, mm. to be in that gesture, you know. Mm in the poetic gesture in itself. It's, it's just a beautiful state. Oh, I, I agree. Yeah. I'm very drawn to it and I have many yeah. friends for poems and I, I love to write in a way that is mm. kind of poetic. It, it's lovely to, to be around those who value well, poetry and imagery or mm. poetry and, and words who really value the things mm. that, that are part of our lives. And I think that's, that's what you've done with your, your work. So I want, I want to thank you, Matt uh, Yam, for, for noticing, mm -hmm. for, for looking and listening and for sharing with us and, and inspiring us with your, your search for meaning and your conversations with other cultures mm -hmm. and for adding your voice to the creative process. Thank you. The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews Producer on this podcast was Peter Freywitzer. Digital Media Coordinator is Hannah Story Brown. Wintertime was composed by Nicola Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you would like to get involved with our creative community, exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works for review, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thanks for listening.